Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We continue, of course, our study uh, this semester in Grow Groups. We're calling it Temptation. It's a great, it's a, it's a wild subject because it's a reality in our lives. It's just right there. Temptation is the pull to do wrong. Here's what we see, and this is what we know. We are in a fallen world, and we are fallen people. So naturally, we're going to have problems because the world has fallen, and then we're fallen. And so how can we have victory over temptation? How can we live the victorious Christian life? And, of course, this morning we're continuing seeing the, the, what I call the process of temptation. There's a flow. There's a pattern. We see it. And so as we look this morning, we're going to quickly look at the areas of temptation. And, and we already know what they are, but we're going to talk about it real quickly. And then we're going to see the process of temptation, how all that fits together, and we'll see it. So here's, and I'm going to go really quickly for the first part, and you've got the answers already there. But first of all, what is temptation is what? What is temptation? It's the pull to do wrong. And then the question is, is temptation sin? What's the answer? No, because Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. So temptation is not sin, but how we respond to it could bring sin. There is a process, a progression in temptation. There's this flow that must be understood. And that's what we see. There's this flow, and we're going to talk about it more in, in just a few minutes. But let me just raise this point. And this is something that sometimes we go through life and we say, well, you know, we just can't help it. I mean, we just can't help it. Sometimes we're tempted and we just automatically fall and we can't help it. But the truth is, we don't have to sin. We know 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that whatever temptation comes in, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He will provide a way out. That's what he does. That's who he is. So in a summary statement, temptation is a pull to do wrong. Temptation is not sin, but can lead to sin. And temptation comes from the three big areas, the devil, the world, and the flesh. Sometimes we say the world, the flesh, and the devil. Last time we started focusing on the flesh, because that's where, the, the, where it gets us. I mean, the devil controls the world system, and the world system affects our flesh. We know that we're dead in trespasses and sins. It's a great truth to understand that we are spiritually dead. We come into this world spiritually dead. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you become spiritually alive. And uh, but but we still have a part of us, Uh, according to Romans 5:12. Adam's sin was actually passed upon us. Not only was his sin passed upon us, which is the eight fruit, whatever it was, but also a capacity to sin. We're made in the likeness of Adam. Adam is a fallen person, so every human being that has a father, there it was passed on to them. We said that we have this capacity to sin. We said that there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That came from 1 John. And and 1 John says, here's the battle, here's the deal. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So when you're going to be tempted, this is where the areas are going to come from. The lust of the flesh is the desires, physical flesh, that kind of thing. Lust of the eyes, not only is, because sometimes when we think of lust of the eyes, we think of what we're looking at. But lust of the eyes also has an idea of to be seen. It has a pride aspect of ambition. And then the third part is the pride of life, which is to obtain and greed and all those kind of things. So it's there. If you remember in the garden, here's what we saw with Eve, the temptation of Eve in the garden. Verse 6, this is where we are. Look what it says. When the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now, do you see the three things there? Look, lust of the flesh, good to eat. Lust of the eyes, it looked good. Pride of life, it would make one wise. It's there in the very beginning. When we talk about how you're going to be tempted, you're going to be tempted by the flesh, 
And when I say lust of the flesh, it's the idea of a fulfilling physical type desires and things. You're going to be tempted by the lust of the eyes, which is either what you look at or what you want to be seen as, or you're going to be tempted by pride of life, which is the whole idea of ambition and you want, you want, you know, you, you think you deserve things or whatever. Well, what happened to her? How was she tempted? Well, the fruit looked good to eat. That's the lust of the flesh. It looked good when she saw it. That was the lust of the eyes. And it was going to make her like God. It would make her wise. That's the pride of life. Now, how we deal with that? Because every day, you're going to be tempted from a physical aspect, from an eye aspect, and from a pride aspect, from the whole physical thing, physical desires. What are we going to have to do? We're going to have to trust God that he would provide the, the, to, to meet the physical desires that we have. I mean, I read a magazine article the other day, and it was about a person that said they wanted to be married. They were in their 30s. They had the physical desires to have sexual relations. And so they went ahead and said, I might as well have sex because I don't know if I'll ever get married, but I need to have sexual relations. Well, what they did is they, they didn't trust God that somewhere down the line he would be able to meet those needs and feel fix that thing for them. And, and then the eyes, the ambition to see and to be seen, to accomplish things in God. But what we have to do is accomplish things in God's way and God's time. You know, it, there's a hard part that, that I see uh, almost everybody, everybody wants to feel important. Everybody wants others to think they're I mean, why do people buy certain cars or certain clothes or certain things? They want people to say, look, I have these kind of cars. I have this kind of house. I have this kind of thing because they want to be seen. And what we got to do is that God's just let God's going to work everything out in his plan and in his way. And then the third thing is the pride. That's the whole the greed of, the, you know, I want to be better and better. But what, how do we deal with that? The goal is to serve and honor God, not serve and honor ourselves. We just have to realize that we're here for him, not uh, we're not here for ourselves. And it's really a tough thing because that pull is out there. And so with the devil and the world and the flesh, the devil controlling the world, the world controlling the flesh, the flesh is affected by the eyes, the physical part, the, the pride part. All of that is pulling on us all the time. Do you agree with this? Do you feel it? Do you see it every day? Do you feel it every day? And the, the bottom line is, it is a battle, and we will have this battle as long as we're fallen people in a fallen world. Now, one of these days, we already know that Jesus Christ is going to come get us and change us. He says to us in Philippians, he says, we wait for him who's going to change this lowly old body to be a glorious body like his. And then when he comes back, he's going to set up a kingdom. And the kingdom, according to Isaiah, now the, the kingdom, the thousand-year reign on Christ is not a perfect place, but it's a lot better than we have now. And we won't have a flesh as we go through that. We won't. And then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And so God's plan is to correct all of this but it's a fallen world. Now, we already know that there's this progress, this procession, this, this thing that comes in, this, this, this pull to sin. James chapter 1, 13 through 15, and we don't even turn there for right now, but James chapter 1, 13 through 15, he says that what happens is there's something that affects our lust, then the lust of the flesh, then the flesh gives forth to sin, and then sin gives forth to death. Do you know that every time you sin, you die? We die in our fellowship with God. So we have an eternal relationship with God, can never change. The moment you trust in Christ as Savior, you're placed in the body of Christ. You're placed in the church, the body of Christ. You're placed in an eternal relationship with Christ, which is called eternal life, and that can never change. But when we sin, 
we step basically remove ourselves from fellowship with God and we die. It's the Bible calls it temporal death, the idea that we die. And the only way to deal with it is confess it. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us and a bit back in. So there, in our lives now, every time we, the lust fits us, we go ahead and fulfill it. That sin, it results in death. Uh, Theodore Epp was a, a great Bible teacher. Uh, he passed away. Uh, he had a Bible ministry called Back to the Bible, Theodore Epp. I used to love listening to him. And he would say this, lust is the bud, sin is the blossom, death is the fruit. So it starts with lust, it goes to sin, sin goes to death. And that's what we see. So how do you stop it? Nip it in the what? Near the bud. You remember Barney fight? Nip it, nip it in the bud. Remember him? Okay. So that's what you have to do. When it starts, because we're going to see this progression, we're going to see this process of sin, we're going to see what it does to us and the temptations and how it comes. And, and you've heard me say this many times. You, you, you see something in that sense. And then you what? You want whatever that is. And then you take whatever it is. And then you what? What do you do? You hide it. That's the, pro- that's the process. That's the, the, the progression of sin. And we're going to see it. I have a friend. Most of, a lot of you know Ken Shepherd. He's come and done our men's retreat. He's a great man. Um, he, he and Nat Clark led me to Christ when I was 19. But he'd always say it this way. Temptation is stimulated from without but begins within. It comes from the world and the flesh, the uh, devil and the world. But then it begins inside with our flesh. And, the, and, and our desires and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let me give you the pattern. And this is what we see over and over. We see it. We want it. We take it. We hide it. And you're going to see it in a bunch of places in the Bible. We're going to look at two or three things. We're going to see where this happened and there was failure. And we're going to see where this happened and where there was victory. And so in your life right now, there's going to be a temptation. The temptation is going to come, and it's going to come uh, through eyes, pride, uh, and, and you're going to see something. You, you're going to want something. It's going to attract you in some way. You're going to want it. You're going to desire it. And then if you're not careful, because you're tempted now, tempted is, temptation's not what? It's not sin yet, but you're, then you're going to do it. You're going to take it. You're going to do whatever it is which you know is contrary, and then... You're going to try to hide it because that's what we do. Because anybody want to come up here? Because I'm not telling you the things I did wrong yesterday. You want to come up here and tell me the things you did wrong yesterday? Because now what do you say? No, I'm not telling anybody. Why? Because we see it, we desire it, we take it, we hide it. That's what we do. We don't want people to know. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see it. We're going to see what did Eve do? She saw the fruit. She desired the fruit. She took the fruit. And then she hid. Now, he, uh, Adam was right there with her. In fact, we're, we're going to see it here in just a second. And, and I want you to see that pattern, to see desire, to take the hide. We're going to see failures, and we're going to see victory. So let's begin, and let's see this, 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 uh, the failures, and we're going to see the progression. We're going to see how it works. And let's go to one of the most, the, probably the most famous, well, we could put it this way, one of the most famous sins in the whole Bible. Because this is where it all started. This is where God put Adam and Eve in a garden, and everything was wonderful. It was supposed to be wonderful. And God formed them. And let me, let me explain something to you. I'm going to talk. We've got, what do we got? About eight or nine minutes. Let me explain something to you. When God created the heavens and the earth, and he created in six days, on the sixth day, he created a man. 
Hebrew word is ish. That means man. He then named him Adama, Adam, which is Hebrew for dirt, because he formed him from the dirt of the ground. So you have this man, and it says then that God said it was not good for what? Man to be what? Alone. And so what did he do? What did he do? No, he didn't make woman. <laughs> he made the animals. If you read the scripture, he made the animals. He brought every animal by, named them, giraffe, hippopotamus. Okay, you know, he just came up with all this stuff. And then what happened? And then it said that there was not one found that matched him. So what did God do? God put him asleep and took a rib, formed the woman, the Isha. The Hebrew word for woman is Isha. Hebrew word for man is Ish. Hebrew word for woman is Isha, which means out of man. She, she came out of man. And so when Adam woke up, he found out that he had had surgery and was now married. And so uh, he didn't <laughs> So all of a sudden, now you've got the man and the woman, and God had already told the man, Adam, the woman doesn't have a name. Her name does not become Eve until after the fall. So this is man, Ish, his name is Adamah, and this is Isha. And they put him in the garden. God had already told the man, you can eat from all the trees in the garden except one. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat from that tree, because it shows you right from wrong, I want you to do right by, I want you to learn right from wrong by doing right. You could learn right from wrong by doing wrong. He says, in the day that if you eat from that tree, what's going to happen to you? Dying, you shall surely die. Dying spiritually, you'll die physically. And that's what happened. And they died the exact moment they ate that fruit. They died spiritually right then. It took 900 years for them to die physically. And we come into this world spiritually dead, and sometimes we live 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and then we die physically. Uh, the physical death ultimately comes from spiritual death because man is a fallen creature. So he put them in the garden, and he said, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. From this they were to learn right from wrong, but knowing good and evil. And so now look at chapter 3. And uh, I want to throw this out to you. It says, now the serpent, this is verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God, uh, and, and has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now let me ask you a question. Okay, the serpent, we're going to find out that the serpent is an animal, and this animal is, is possessed by the devil. The devil has come down to tempt mankind and try to ruin God's plan. That's, that's what he's doing. Because God put man as the ruler of the world. God created the world, told, told him to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue the earth. He basically said, Adam, you are the king of the world. And when Adam sinned, he lost his kingship. Who became king of the world? Who? Satan. Satan is the god of this age. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the king of the world. One of these days, the last Adam, first Adam failed, the last Adam is Jesus Christ, the last Adam's going to come take over the world and rule in righteousness and justice. So God's going to take it all and make it right. So he's put them in the garden, and he's told them don't eat from that. And this serpent comes, and he says to the woman, to the Isha, the question might be, where is the man? We may think, He's way out in the field somewhere, taking care of the garden. But the way it's written in Hebrew, which we're going to see a little bit later on, is he's pretty close by her. And the serpent comes and says, has God said you can't eat from any of the tree of the garden? Now, I, there's, there's one thing that's always uh, amazed me. 
she didn't say, oh my gosh, a snake is talking. Did she? Did she seem shocked that this serpent, by the way, now he's not crawling on his belly because that's part of the curse. No telling what he looked like. No telling what this animal looked like because we know the curse was that this serpent from that point on would crawl on his belly and eat the, bus, uh, the dust of the ground. So I don't know what this animal looked like, but she, she didn't seem to say, wait a minute, animals don't talk. I don't know whether animals talk or not. I don't know if they talked before the fall. I know that she didn't seem to be extra shocked that an that a animal was talking to her. Do you see that in here? What do you see? I, I don't know. Okay, so he then raised a couple of points. Notice this. Has God said, you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? And she said, well, we, we can eat from all the trees, but not the one in the middle. And the serpent said, because if we eat it, we die. And the serpent said in verse 4, you shall not die. So the serpent did two things. He raised out, raised a doubt, raised a doubt about God's love and about God's word, about God's love. If God really loved you, he'd let you eat from every tree in the garden. If God really loved you, why is he holding back that one particular tree? And sometimes in our lives, we hear Satan say to us, if God really loved you, he'd let you get married. If God really loved you, this job would be a better job. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be lonely. God would give you friends. If God really loved you, you wouldn't just be barely making it. All. If God really loved you, why is God holding back? He must not what? He must not really love you. And so he said, as God said, you can't eat from all the trees. And then she thought, well, I don't, why would he hold back? He says he always wants the best for us. Why would he hold back? And then the second thing is doubt God's word. Because it said in the day that you eat from that tree, what happens? You will die. What did he say to her? You will not die. So he wanted her to doubt God's word and doubt God's love. And we, we doubt God's word. I see people doubt God's word all the time. They say, well, that's true, but I, I don't know about this. Or I've heard people say, well, listen, Genesis is just a story. There really weren't two people and it wasn't created in the, you know, six days. Now, I believe that there was a Jesus, but I don't believe this. I say, so you believe this part of the Bible, but you don't believe this part of the Bible. Do you believe it was a Jonah? Do you believe he swallowed by a fish? Do you believe Jesus walked on the water? Do you believe that he calmed the storm? And they start saying, well, I believe some of it. I mean, so what Satan wants you to do is say, some of these things couldn't happen. How could two million people cross the Red Sea in the middle of the night and walls of water and on dry ground? That's impossible. And so people say, well, it was actually the Reed Sea, and it was only about this deep, and they just kind of went across, and, and, and that's what people say. So, Because we don't want to admit that there might have been a miracle. So what Satan wants you to do is what? Believe this or not believe this? He didn't want you to believe it. So he raised the two doubts, doubt God's love, doubt God's word. And that's what he does. And so let's see the progression. Look what happens. He, by, by the way, he said, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, you'll, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that a lie, or is that a truth? It's actually a truth, but it's a lie. In the day that they ate the fruit, would they know right from wrong? Does God know right from wrong? Yeah, so they'd be like God, knowing what? Good and evil. But what did they think is going to happen when they ate from the fruit? That they'd be like God. See, he told them that the reason God doesn't want you to eat from that fruit because if you eat from that fruit, you'll be like him. And he didn't want another God around here. I would probably ask him, then why don't you eat it? 
You know, I mean, why don't you eat it if you want to be? Why are you asking us to eat it? What? And, you know, here's the bottom line. It says, and, and this is the progression. Watch this. She, what did she do? She saw. The woman saw the tree was good for food. And then it was a delight to the eyes. And she desired it, she said. And the tree was desirable. So she saw it. She wanted it. What she did she do? She took from the fruit and ate, and she gave to her husband. Notice it says, with her. In the Hebrew, it implies he was close by. She went, and he had to make a decision right there. Go with her, go with God. That's his decision. Follow her, follow God. What did he do? Followed her. When God came, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. He's basically saying, you didn't obey me, you obeyed her. See it, want it, take it. Now, in verse 6 and 7, it says, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, she saw it, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable, she wanted it. She took it and ate it, and she gave it to her husband. The eyes of both of them were open, and they thought, oh, my gracious, for some reason, we've never even noticed it to now, but we don't have any clothes on. And they sewed fig leaves together, trying to cover everything up. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? The man and the woman did what? Hid. That's what you do. And that's what people do. The progression. They saw it, desired it, took it, and hid. And that's what we do. That's what we do. We see things. We want things. We do things. And then we hide it. And... I want to show you, we're going to see, this is the very first one, and this is, this is the pattern that you will see in your life and in everybody else's lives. We're going to see a man named Achan in the book of Joshua. And Achan saw something he wasn't supposed to have, desired it, took it, and hid it. We're going to see King David. What did he see he wasn't supposed to have? Bathsheba, he wanted her, he took her, and he tried to Hide it. It is the same pattern all the way through the Bible. And it's the pattern that you see in our own lives. So let me just give you this and then we'll stop and go to grow group. First one is this. Let's know the enemy. Who is the enemy? There it is. The devil, the world, and ourselves. The devil wants us to doubt God's word and doubt God's love. The world wants us to absorb the values. Remember, if you're not consciously being what? If you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will be what? Unconsciously what? Conformed to this world. It's going to happen to you. It's happened to all of us. It's unconscious. We don't even realize it's happening because we're not putting this in our brains. We're just letting the world shape us. And so that's the world. And then there's the self, and that's the pull, the natural desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is always there, and we've got to know the enemy. And, and if you don't know the enemy, I mean, you can't win. You can't win. The second thing is, you got. let's understand temptation. Remember the progression? See, desire, take, hide. We see it. We want it. We take it. We hide it. Where, where can we stop? Where do we stop in this thing? How about between desire and take, right? I mean, because if you see something and you desire it, to be tempted to do something is not necessarily what? Not necessarily sin. I'm not saying every time you, because you may see something and lust after it right then, and you've already sinned, okay? But what I'm just getting at is most of the time there's a seeing, a desiring, a taking, and a hiding. And we got to stop the progression. That's what you got to do. Do you remember, and we're going to see it, when uh, Joseph was tempted by uh, Potiphar's wife? What did he do? 
He got out of there as fast as he could. He got away from, he was seeing, there was a desiring going on, he took off. Last but not least, let's learn from the failures that we see in the Bible. And let's remember not to doubt God's love. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad it looks, God loves you with an unconditional, unchanging love, and he wants the very best for us. And then second, let's don't doubt the Word of God. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharpening to its sword. And whatever it says is true. And you can't pick and choose from the Bible. You can't say, I don't believe the first two chapters of the Bible, but I do happen to believe this chapter of the Bible. You can't do that. It's all, it's all one big unit. It is God's Word, Old Testament, New Testament, all goes together. you got to study it and believe it and not doubt God's love, not doubt God's Word.